the book of Ruth is a story that unfolds uh, during the time of Judges, uh, when all the world was chasing after what was right in their own eyes. We meet some people who uh, live true to God's covenant faithfulness. We meet Naomi in Moab. Her life has fallen apart. She's lost her husband and sons. She'd rather be called Mara, which means bitter, rather than Naomi, which means pleasant. And we meet Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, who unconditionally, unreservedly commits herself to Naomi. And not only to Naomi, but also to Naomi's God. Ruth's commitment takes her into the fields to be a gleaner in support of Naomi. And providentially, she gleans in the field of Boaz. He's a man of noble character. He not only follows the gleaner laws, he gives Ruth extra provision. And even more, he protects her. Naomi knows that gleaning in the fields can be dangerous for women, but but Boaz assures Ruth that if she stays in his fields, he will make sure that she's not harmed, that she's not molested. And at the end of the first day of her gleaning, Ruth comes back to Naomi with an abundance of grain. And she's beginning to realize the blessing that Boaz offered her. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. What Boaz didn't realize, and what we will discover in today's story, is that he will be the answer to that blessing. If you have your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you may want to turn to Ruth uh, chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. And let me pray as we uh, hear God's Word. God, again, we come before You to hear from You. We bow ourselves before Your Word, bending our wills to Your desire for us. And we pray that Your Spirit, through my words, through our meditations, would make clear to us your thoughts and your desires for our lives so that we more and more could be like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Once Naomi realizes Ruth is gleaning in Boaz's fields, she sees an opportunity. So she directs Ruth to go to Boaz on the threshing floor. Notice the change in scenery. This isn't the wide-open harvest field. 
It's not like the next scene, which occurs at the town gate. This is a place of privacy. Boaz lies at the far end of the threshing floor, and there's mystery, there's secrecy surrounding what happens on the harvest floor. Ruth comes to him in the dark, so no one can recognize her. There's only a few characters. Naomi, primarily Ruth and Boaz, they appear in this chapter. There's no other gleaners, there's no harvesters in the field, there's no townswomen or townsmen. The only people in view are the three main characters. And of course the Lord. Behind the scenes, but always active. And yet there seems to be some play on whether they recognize each other. Naomi instructs Ruth, don't let him know you're there. That is, don't make yourself known to him. And then when Boaz wakes, he asks, who are you? And then verse 14 says, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And when Ruth returns to Naomi, the literal question Naomi asks in verse 16 is, who are you? The storyteller even uses Ruth and Boaz's names at a minimum. In the telling of the story, there's just the woman or the man. Verse 8 says, In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman. And verse 14 says, She lay at his feet. And Boaz says, No one must know a woman came. In the Hebrew, in verse 16, the Hebrew doesn't use Boaz's name. Rather, it says, then she told her everything the man had done for her. And finally, in verse 18, Boaz again is referred to as just the man. This scene on the threshing floor is enveloped with mystery and secrecy and privacy. Perhaps the storyteller wants us to see that there's, there's maybe a matter of the heart going on here. Boaz refers to Ruth's actions as a kindness. Verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Now maybe we're curious about what Ruth is up to. I mean, it looks profoundly sexual in nature. But the truth is, Ruth is making a marriage proposal to Boaz. I mean, that's what's behind Naomi's plan. This is what Ruth is asking of Boaz. You know, Ruth couldn't breeze up to Boaz at the marketplace and ask him if he'd like to go out for dinner. So to us, it all looks mysterious and secret. And what Ruth is doing is seems filled with ambiguity. It begins with Naomi's instructions. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. This resembles what a bride would do on her wedding day. Or maybe it's Ruth just being seductive. 
And Ruth's action of uncovering Boaz's feet could be simply that. Maybe uncovering his feet means uncovering his nakedness, which is a euphemism for having sex with him. I mean, if a man wakes up in the middle of the night to find a woman in his bed, what is he to conclude? The storyteller presents us with a a provocative set of circumstances facing Boaz and Ruth. What are we to make of it? Well, we would be mistaken to assume it's all about sex. The ambiguity of the sexual overtones points to the extreme importance of what is happening. This is not a come on from a young woman to some rich old man. Uh, In Israel culture, they simply didn't have marriage as we understand it. If Ruth was offering herself to Boaz, it's more likely that she is proposing marriage than propositioning him. In fact, Naomi's, who are you, question in verse 16, most likely carries the sense of, are you his wife? I mean, did our plan work? Did everything go as we desired? If Ruth was only interested in a role in the hay, her future marriage prospects would be greatly diminished. And besides, by this time in the story, we know Ruth and Boaz better than that. Neither of them has the character to be interested in a one-night stand. When Boaz was introduced to us, he was called a man of noble character. And now, when Ruth comes to him, he says, you are a woman of noble character. No, Boaz opts for God's way of kind compassion. He, like Ruth, responds to the situation before him by offering himself to her. Earlier in the story, Boaz talked about Ruth finding protection under the Lord's wings. The Lord is the one under whose wings Ruth came to take refuge. Now, on the threshing floor, Ruth points out that she is seeking protection under Boaz's wings. This is the meaning of her request. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Ruth points out to Boaz that he is this guardian redeemer of her family. And so she's appealing to him to become her protector, to become Naomi's protector. And Boaz takes up Ruth's request. He will do two things. He will redeem the land for Naomi and Ruth, and he will entertain Ruth's proposal and marry her. Boaz opts to live the way of God's covenant faithfulness. So now the mystery is over, the privacy is done, and a new scene shifts to the town gate. The last scene, chapter 4, resolves Boaz's pledge. In front of the whole town, Boaz proves true to his word. Like Ruth, he proves to all that he is acting out of the kindness of God. Chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. 
I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Somewhere along the line, Elimelech had a share in some land. Land belonging to his clan. And we don't know what happened. Uh, Perhaps he put it up for collateral for some debts. Maybe he leased it out to someone who made him a loan at the time of the famine. Whatever the case, the land is in limbo. And whoever wants it would have to redeem the land. They would have to pay Elimelech's debt. Though Naomi has some rights to the land, she has no resources to redeem it. So she'll surrender her rights to the land to someone else. Now Boaz is one of the people in line to have the chance to redeem the land of paying Elimelech's debt and receiving the land. But there's another man, another guardian redeemer, who has first dibs. He's a closer relative. Because this involved land, it can't simply be bought and sold at anyone's whim. Although oftentimes the laws were ignored in Israel's history, the land belongs to God. You heard Brandon's prayer that our land belongs to God. That was very true in Israel. The land belongs to God. And it's God's will that a family becomes steward of a parcel of land. It's God's will that they receive the land and then they're free to farm it and steward it as they see fit to grow things for themselves. And for this reason, this exchange of land is a very weighty issue. It calls for the town elders to weigh in. They must be audience to Boaz's proposal. There's just this one complication. There's this matter of this other guardian redeemer. He has a first chance to redeem the land. And if he does, well, Boaz reveals to him he will also have to marry Ruth. It's the way the law of redemption worked when there was a widow involved. This closer redeemer thus faces a huge problem. Redeeming the land, marrying Ruth, and having to father a child would involve significant expenditure. For him, the cost outweighs the benefit. And so this first Redeemer declines the offer. And then Boaz declares, before all the elders, before that his intention is not only to redeem the land, but also to marry Ruth. Totally above board, in a public venue, Boaz states, he will redeem the land of Naomi and he will marry Ruth. And then the elders and people of the town praise and bless Boaz. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Boaz is a restorer, a redeemer. He images God in God's own acts of restoration and redemption. 
Boaz accepts the obligation to care for those members of his extended family, especially the vulnerable, Naomi and Ruth. And he was willing to spend his energy and resources to help them rebuild their lives. That's what God did for Israel. God treated them as family. God didn't ask whether they were deserving of the mess they were in or whether they deserved redemption. God redeemed. God simply spent the energy and resources needed to help them out. That's what's behind Boaz's actions. God is present to fulfill His role as Redeemer through Boaz, the Redeemer. Of course, we can't help but think about the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Redeemer. Our world belongs to God. A contemporary testimony gives us a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus. It says this, Being both divine and human, Jesus is the only mediator. He alone paid the debt of our sin. There is no other Savior. We are chosen in Christ to become like Him in every way. God's electing love sustains our hope. God's grace is free to save sinners who offer nothing but their need for mercy. Ruth and Boaz become wife and husband. They consummate their marriage. They have a son. And the women declare praise to the Lord for Naomi's changed situation. A complete reversal has happened. The story began with Naomi publicly lamenting before the people. She agonized over the hardship that God had brought into her life. And now also, In public, Naomi is relieved. God has come through for her. She's no longer a bitter and empty woman. Naomi has joy. Happiness has prevailed in her life. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May He become famous throughout Israel. He'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. (laughs) Praise be to the Lord. Here is our God. God is present wherever responsible human beings, instead of chasing after their own desires, act with God's compassion. Act with God's redemption toward one another. Ruth wasn't of Israel. She didn't have to journey with Naomi. But she did. She chose to live God's way of kind compassion toward Naomi. Boaz didn't settle for temporary sexual satisfaction on the threshing floor. No, he honored Ruth. And he entered into the road toward redemption and ultimately marriage. Ruth took Naomi under her wings by gleaning in the fields. Boaz took Ruth and Naomi under his wings by redeeming the land and marrying Ruth. 
Naomi found herself under God's wings as she cradled a grandson in her lap. Emptiness gave way to fullness through the love of others. That's God's way. It's not doing what's right in our own eyes. There was enough of that going on during the time of Judges. The way of God is choosing to do what's right in God's eyes. The way of God is to respond to the vulnerability with God's kindness. The way of God is to redeem others from the burdens of life through the resources we have. God's purpose and will is carried out through the noble actions of humans who live out God's kind compassion. See, our blessing is not only to find ourselves under God's protective wing. God blesses us with His kindness and redemption so that we will be a blessing. In the ordinary, sometimes mundane details of our lives, we spread the wings of God over the life of someone who needs God's loving kindness. Redeemed to redeem. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the story of Ruth. And that's the story to which God invites us. Let's pray together. God, we have uh, experienced your blessing in our lives. We know that we've been redeemed. And if we don't, we hear today your invitation. It's an invitation for us to find a way under your wings to discover that full life, real life, happy life, fulfilled life is found under your wings of redemption. But we know it's not enough just for us to be redeemed. You also invite us to be redeemers. That in the way of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves throwing a garment over the lives of those who are in need. We find ourselves using what we have to express your kind compassion for others. Father, I pray that your Spirit would fill us to be that kind of people. In the name and in the way of Jesus. Amen.